0: Thank you for listening to Sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you here at Schofield Community Chapel. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. I see some folks who are Back from awesome times, no doubt, of taking leave and things like that. I see some folks uh, met for the first time today, which is also awesome. We're a a transient group of folks, right? Somebody's always coming. Somebody's always going. But for this day, we're glad that we're here together to to worship the Lord here on July the 9th. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Philippians, which we've been in for about two months now. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses four through seven. We're going to continue our series entitled uh, In All Things. Today, we're going to, as I was looking at this passage, it's going to talk about those themes of peace that you just sang about. Peace, love, and joy. And it made me think about the concept of Christmas in July. That is also, if some of you knew Chaplain Matt Runnels, who was on our team for a couple of years, he just pcs If you ever met him, what did he always say when he would greet you? He would say, Merry Christmas. That was his favorite time of year. So if Chaplain Runnels catches uh, this on a podcast or something uh, later on, this is an homage to my good friend Matt Runnels. How to have Christmas in July. What we really want to get after today is how to have that kind of peace, love and joy. I'm going to go ahead and share with you. In this passage, it's going to say that if you'll do these things, if you'll take these actions, if you'll follow the Lord in this way, that the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind. I don't know about you, but I want the peace of God to guard my heart and to guard my mind. For the past two months, as we've been looking at this book, we we say it many, many times. Paul is writing this book from a roman prison how is it paul could possibly use the word rejoice to to have joy again to to have this this permeate his heart this idea of joyfulness how can he do that while suffering in prison how can he do that while he has rivals who are are preaching against him it talks about in philippians chapter one he gives the example in philippians 2 of jesus christ himself who humbled himself and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. How how can how could he use that as an example? What we're going to look at today is how to have that peace of God to guard your heart and to guard your mind. What I hope happens today is I hope the Lord and the Holy Spirit pricks our hearts and, and he calls us to action. I hope that this is like we say many times in the 25th Infantry Division. This is definitely a deeds, not words. Type of 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 message where we put some action to our to our steps. I want you to read with me in Philippians chapter four. We're only going to look at four verses this morning and I want you to see this and then we'll continue from there. But look at look at what he says in Philippians four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your. I'm going to give you two words. Some translations say, let your reasonableness. Some translations say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near or at hand. Verse number six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want us to think about how we can have this peace of God guard our hearts and guard our minds. We'll we'll talk about this some more later, but when you read it, it, it reads almost like, <clears throat> like soldiers guarding something, like like nothing's going to get to us on this watch, like not on my watch. He's saying that the peace of God will guard our hearts in that same way. I, I want that for my life. I, I, hope that, I hope that you do as well. And as I thought about we're six months from Christmas, Christmas in July, you're like, good night, chaplain. Why are we talking about Christmas uh, in July? Sure enough, my brother who's a he's a worship leader at a church, guess what he's doing right now He's planning his Christmas stuff right now. I was like good night, John already starting but it is it's, it, it, it rolls on. When I thought about that, I thought about this classic story about Christmas that you all know and I want to remind you of it it is uh, Charles Dickens book A Christmas Carol. If you remember that story that's been redone in I don't know how many dozens and dozens of, of movies remember his char- his main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, he was he was he was not a nice man. Uh, He was he was he was mean to people. He was he was greedy, all these types of things. And you remember what happened, right? He he got visited by these three ghosts, the ghost of uh, past, present, future. The reason I bring it up is because in that story, Scrooge, his his whole mentality about Christmas shifted so that it actually changed him. He became a person who put action steps. To His change of heart and I want to read to you exactly how Dickens put it at the end. This is the end of his book <clears throat> Here's what he says Scrooge was better than his word He did it all and infinitely more into tiny Tim by the way remember that was the young man his his uh, His employee who had the son who was lame remember that part of the story Scrooge helped him. I'll continue here uh, Tiny Tim who did not die Scrooge was a second father Scrooge became as good a friend, as good a master and as good a man as the old city knew or any other old city, town or borough in the good old world. It was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well, that if any man alive possessed the knowledge. And then he closes his novel by saying, may that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us every one you remember that story raise your hand if you remember that story yeah we know that story the reason I bring it up is because it it, it is a call to action the, the character in the story he changed his 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 mind actually took action steps it is a call it is a call to action are, are you are you ready today to act are, are you ready to put deeds to the words? Are you, are you, are you ready to, to put action to what God might be calling you today? I want you to look at somebody right now I want you to say this. I want you to say, are you ready to act? Say it right now. Are you ready to act? Are you ready to act? Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, well done is better than well said. I hope that as we look at these action steps today, which are going to come just like Jeremiah Verdon's sermon last week. Remember, he said very specifically, my points are right out of the scripture. That's what we're going to do today as well. Our points, our action steps are going to be right out of the scripture. What I hope the Holy Spirit does in our hearts is lead us to action. If we do these things, the Bible says we will have the peace of God. Do you want the peace of God in your life? I do. I do. It sounds like you all do, too. Well, let's do this. Point number one. I bet you can guess what it is if you look at verse number four. What do you think point number one is? It's probably already on the screen. Rejoice in the Lord. There's no fancy way. There's no cutesy way for me to say that that's any better than what the Bible already says. Point number one, if we're going to have the peace of God, the first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to rejoice in the Lord. And he says always. And again, I say rejoice rejoice that is to to have joy again this has been said over and over again over over the years but you know this you've heard this that happiness many times tends to be more circumstantial joy is something that is is deeper than that i hope that you have joy and i hope that you have happiness in many happy occasions we have a lot of children here. We have a lot of babies. I hope there's a lot of joy over, those, over the birth of those children. I hope that's a happy occasion for us. Weddings, I hope you have happiness and joy in those occasions. Promotions, I hope you have happiness and joy in those occasions. Successful things that happen in your life, blessings that happen in your life. Maybe for some of you, you've been trying for the past decade to move to Hawaii, and finally the Army allowed you to come here. And you're excited about that. Maybe some of you've been here four or five years and you're ready to go do something else. And maybe you're excited about that. Here's what I warned, though. When you read this passage, this formula, rejoice in the Lord. Always again, I say rejoice. I mentioned all those happy things, because what I will tell you is this. If you and I get into the habit of, of, of letting those happy times be the thing, almost like a source of dopamine that makes me feel good, That's all well and good, but all those fun things I just mentioned, I don't know about you, but that's not my entire life. Your entire life's not all happy, 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 happiness all the time either, is it? Mine's not. What Paul is saying is that in the midst of when you have happy times, sure, that's easy. But even in the midst of suffering, somehow you can have rejoicing, he says, and he says it Twice. I want to show you a passage of Scripture that points this out, and you can keep your Bibles in Philippians. And if you have a hard copy of your Bible, you can turn back to a book that might take you a little bit to find. It's in the Old Testament. It's called Habakkuk. He is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. If you have a digital, this little book is easier to find, obviously. But if not, I can simply read it to you. I want you to listen to what the prophet says about rejoicing and having having joy. And he says it from the context of not so great circumstances here's how he put it he said though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines remember agricultural society this is like bad disastrous though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls we could translate that though there's no money in the bank Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, he says in verse 18 of Habakkuk 3, and I will be joyful in God, my Savior. This concept of having joy in the regardless of circumstances is all through the scriptures. When you go back to Philippians, you can go ahead and turn there now. I want to show you a couple of places where he says it uh, in the book of Philippians that we've already spoke of in our sermon series. In Philippians 1:18, he says this. Philippians 1.18 says only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Look at Philippians chapter two. He says it again in Philippians 2.17. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, he's talking about himself being a sacrifice. He says, I am glad and I will rejoice with you all. Philippians 2.18. Thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, Philippians 2.18 says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying time and time again to rejoice. He says in Philippians 3 verse 1, he says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. He's, he's going to come back to this time and time again. What he is teaching is this simple principle. When you and I look at our circumstances, we're not to gaze at the circumstance. We're not to fixate on the circumstance. One person put it this way. We're to glance at the circumstance. Just give it a look. It's there. It's bad. Glance at the circumstance. But your gaze, your gaze should be at the cross. The circumstances are going to come. The circumstances are going to go. The circumstances are going to change. But keep your gaze, keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. With that, you and I will be able to rejoice in the Lord. Here's my question as we think about how to put this into action. Is there a circumstance right now that you are just laser focused gazing at? in such a way that it is taking away your joy. Is there a circumstance in your life, a hardship, something that you dread, maybe something that hasn't even happened yet, but you're worried about it? Are you gazing at that so hard that you have no room to look up at the Lord Jesus Christ? The action step then is to, you've already done the glance, you've already seen it, rejoice in the Lord, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Point number two is this. If we're going to have peace with the Lord, first, we've got to rejoice. But number two, we need to demonstrate gentleness or demonstrate reasonableness. You see this in Philippians 4. You're going to see it in verse number five. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, let other people see see that gentleness. Let other people see that reasonableness. One person put it this way. Let all people know your gracious disposition. The opposite of being reasonable would be unreasonable. The opposite of being gentle would be harshness. In other words, we should be people who exude kindness, who exude gentleness, who exude a word that the Bible uses called meekness, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment, doesn't necessarily mean weakness. As I was thinking about this idea of demonstrating this gentleness and and, and peace to other people, I ran across that uh, great uh, Peanuts, the comic book, uh, the comic series, and I I ran across one where it's Lucy and Charlie Brown, I love this. Here's here's what it, here's how it goes. It's got Lucy and she's talking to Charlie Brown and she says, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. Sounds like some of my counseling sessions as a, as a chaplain. I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown says, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy says, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. What Paul is saying here is if you and I are going to have the peace of God, we got to get rid of this outer obnoxiousness. We all know, right? We all know those people. Even as I, as I talk about this concept of being gentle and being kind, the opposite of that being harsh, maybe we'd say they're a jerk, maybe they're a toxic leader. Right now, I know it's happening. You're thinking about somebody. You're thinking about somebody. Well, let me propose that before we do any of that, we can always find somebody out there to to compare ourselves to to make ourselves feel good. Well, I might be obnoxious, but I'm not as obnoxious as that guy. So I'm okay. Don't go down that road. Is your reasonableness known to other people? Is your gentleness known to other people? We won't turn there, but the Beatitudes that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount, he has a couple of those that really tie into this. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In other words, if you and I are going to have the peace of God, we're going to demonstrate this reasonableness, this gentleness, this this idea that, that other people see our love and our kindness Here's what happens. If you and I are the opposite of that, if we're harsh, if we're angry all the time, if we're bitter all the time, just saying those things out loud logically makes sense. Right. That that's not going to lead to peace, is it? And the more angry we get, the harder the grudge gets held, the longer the bitterness. It talks about in one place in the scripture, let no root of bitterness. The more we hold on to those things, the further away we're going to be from peace. That's why Paul says, let the peace of God will guard your heart. If you simply will be a person who demonstrates this idea of gentleness and meekness and humility. We've already said this. Meekness does not mean weakness. Jesus was a person who was meek. Jesus was a carpenter in the first century. I don't know if you know anything about carpentry work in the first century, but there was no Home Depot. There was no skill saws. Any kind of cutting you did with a wood you were doing, you were doing by hand. Anybody who was a carpenter had to be pretty strong. And by the way, Jesus hung out with fishermen. Again, it's not like you and I can go right now. and We can rent a charter boat and it's all pretty and we take pictures. Fishing was was hard work. Fishermen in the first century would, would have been a rough group of, of, of men. Jesus was not weak. This is the same Jesus who, when they were turning the the temple into a den of thieves and the selling, what did he do? He had the the whip and he flipped the tables over. Jesus was not weak, but but he was meek. Gentleness has to do with strength under control. Let me read a couple of other passages of scripture to you to make this point. You can jot these down. We won't take time to turn. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 says this, it says, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and by the gentleness of Christ. The fruit of the spirit is found in Galatians 5, 23. If you know the fruit of the spirit, it's, it's literally in the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self control God is calling us Paul is telling us in this if we want to have the peace of God we have to be gentle people now with that said I want to give you I Have five action steps here to give you that will Be ways you could demonstrate gentleness. This is all still under point number two the gentleness But let me just give you some examples of what that would look like because you may be here and you may say okay Well, what does it mean to demonstrate this gentleness or demonstrate this reason Here's what it means. I believe And I think there's some scripture that backs this up. Number one is you'll be a person of self-control. To demonstrate gentleness and reasonableness. you'll be a person of self-control. Like we just mentioned in the fruit of the spirit. You're not going to be a person who just flies off the handle all the time. If you and I are are gentle, we're not the kind of person who everybody has to walk around eggshells on. Because we're going to be people of self-control. Number two, another demonstration of gentleness is we're going to be teachable. In other words, when somebody gives us instruction, we're not nodding our head, just simply waiting for the next time that we get to wax eloquently about something. I know none of y'all ever do that, but there's some people out there who, when they hear somebody else talk, they're just waiting for their turn to talk. Because after all, who could say anything any better than, than, than me, right? That's kind of the mentality. But teachableness is like the proverb says, give instruction to a wise man and and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man. He'll increase in his learning. Are you teachable? If you're teachable, I would imagine that that is a part of the pathway to this reasonableness, to this gentleness. If you're demonstrating this type of gentleness, you'll be forgiving. You're a person who doesn't hold a grudge. Blessed are the merciful, right? For they shall receive mercy. A demonstration of this gentleness is it is not the end of your world if somebody wrongs you and you don't hold on to that for the next 10, 15 years because you're a forgiving person. The fourth one, I, I, I'll use the biblical term able to turn wrath. A fancy modern day word may be a reasonable, gentle person is able to de-escalate things. Have you ever been in a tense moment when an unreasonable person or an, a harsh person, what do they do in those tense moments? They do what? They make it they make it worse. You've been in those awkward moments in your family. You've been in those tense moments at work. And when that harsh person comes in and just kind of what happens, the whole thing just escalates even more. But a gentle person will be able to de-escalate things. You say, where does that come from in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. The proverb says a soft answer is turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A reasonable person is going to be able to de-escalate things. Are you a person when you come to the scene, do you make it better or do you make it worse? Again, keep in mind the reason Paul mentions this, let your gentleness be evident to people, the reason Paul wants you to demonstrate this is why? So that you'll have the peace of God. Do you see how if you're a person who stirs things up, if you're a person who what we say stirs the pot, that's going to lead to more anger, more harshness, more bitterness, more craziness. And you're going to have less what you're going to have less peace. Do you want the peace of God? Be gentle, be able to turn wrath. And then number five, be a person who serves, be a person who is serving Galatians 5.13 says this, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, he says, serve one another. A person who is reasonable, a person who is gentle is going to have the mentality of I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to put the needs of others first. Paul has already said in Philippians, let each of you not only look out for his own interest, but what? But the interest of others. I've mentioned this before but in recent years psychology articles have come out and have verified what Christians have known for thousands of years that if you're a person who has troubles of any kind or challenges if you help other people it makes you be better. That's just a universal principle that comes from God himself. If you and I are reasonable people if you and I are gentle people we will will be people who serve. Now Look at verse five one more time. It says, let your reasonables be made known to all. He says, the Lord is near. Or some translations say, the Lord is at hand. The good news is that as you and I strive for this peace of God that guards our hearts and minds, and we're striving to be gentle, and we're striving to live in such a way, God's with you while you do that. God works through you and God works through me. God has not left us hanging, so to speak. God is with you as you make your reasonableness known. Now, look at point number three is this. And we're going to look at the next verse here. We pray with thanksgiving. We pray with thanksgiving. Let's go back and look one more time at Philippians four, verses six and seven. I want you to follow this. Here's what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, so don't be anxious, but what instead? This is very much the put off something and then put on something else. We're going to replace this anxiety with something else. He says, in every situation, a very Pauline way of he always talks about this in all things. He he's got these principles that are scriptural, that are biblical, that apply all times. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he simply says that as you do these things, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus The Lord is near. He's already said the the Lord is with us as we as we as we do these things. He is close to us. We pray with thanksgiving. Verse six says, let your request do what? Let your request be made known to God. As we make our request known to God, we're thankful to God for the good things that we've already received. And if we offer our prayers or our petitions with what he says is a thankful heart, We'll have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. What I want to point out here is there's almost Did you catch this? There's almost a recognition that there's going to be anxiety in our lives. When you read it, there's a recognition that we're often anxious. But we're urged in this passage. This idea of prayer is we're acknowledging our total dependence on the living God knowing that he wants to hear from you because you're his child. And if we do this, God, the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. Very similar to the way we've already said, like a soldier who will stand guard over us, protecting our lives from attack. Cody earlier read the scripture in Psalm 100 about making a joyful noise. To the Lord about being thankful for His goodness. Paul says in First Thessalonians, just like he says here, to rejoice always. And he couples that in First Thessalonians with pray uh, without ceasing, giving thanks to the Lord. He couples the rejoicing and the prayer together. It seems like it seems like throughout his throughout his letters. Yes, there's going to be times when we have anxiety, but Paul is saying to instead of having that anxiety and taking on that anxiety to turn it over to the Lord. I found this out this week. I was very surprised. The the most recent Census Bureau, and this came from the Kaiser Family Foundation, the Household Pulse Survey 2023. So this is this is right after the pandemic, right? Fifty percent of adults. Ages 18 to 24, which is some of y'all and many of our soldiers, 50 percent of adults ages 18 to 24 report anxiety and depression systems in 2023. It is amazing to me that as we read this text from Paul from the first century, it screams off the page at a problem that is as recent as that half of the young adults in our country say they've experienced anxiety 2000 years ago the lord knew that so he gave us a formula he said he said instead of having holding on to this anxiety pray to the lord with thanksgiving and that'll lead us to having peace with god i also ran across this talking about anxiety and, and talking about fear which i believe is very close to to anxiety is fear and worry. Those things are have some similarities. Here's the top 10 things of 2022 that people are very afraid of or afraid of. Um, you'll be interested to know. Number one, corrupt government officials, 62 are, are anxi- percent are anxious about that. Not making any statements, just telling you what the, what the stats are. Number two, people I love becoming seriously ill. Is Number two of all the fears. Number three. This is all from America, by the way. Number three, the top. The third fear is Russia is going to use nuclear weapons. This is what's on the hearts and minds of people, according to the survey. Number four, people I love dying. Well, guess what? Last time I checked, the death rate in all countries in the world is still 100 percent. Now, it may fluctuate how long people live, but we're all going to die. So there's a, there's an anxiety. There's a fear. It's it's real. Right. We all have we've all experienced that. And it's, it's very sad. Here's another one that we don't know if it'll happen or not. But 56 percent of people are fearful that the U.S. will be involved in another world war. I spend some time thinking about that. I bet some of you all do as well. Fifty four percent pollution of drinking water. Some I'm not having enough money for the future. Economic financial collapse. Pollution of oceans, rivers and lakes. And then number 10 is biological warfare. Are you depressed yet? Good gracious. If you sit around and you worry about all those things. Last time I checked, there's a couple on that list that, yes, will happen at some point. People will pass away some of the things on the list. Because none of us can predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen. But if you spend your life in anxiety over these things or over a number of things. In fact, I would imagine that in our congregation right now, as we're thinking about anxiety, as we think about the things that God is calling us to pray for. I would imagine some of us have some things right now. If we were honest, we would say, yes, I have a lot of anxiety about this. Life can be so unpredictable, and we don't know the future. Sometimes we have joy. Sometimes we have sorrow. How can we know peace with all this anxiety? The Bible says to pray with thanksgiving. Another place in the Bible, in 1 Peter, it says to cast our cares, or some translations say cast your anxiety on him that is the Lord, why it says, because he cares for you. Those a man some of you may have heard of, he wrote a famous hymn, and his name was Horatio Spafford. He he knew about unexpected challenges, he, he knew about sorrow. He actually was a successful attorney. He was a real estate investor. He lost a fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. He lost his wealth. And around the same time, he lost a four-year-old son who died of scarlet fever, lost all his possessions, lost a four-year-old son. He thought perhaps a vacation would would be good for his family. After all, who of all people, if, if anybody needed a vacation, it was probably this family, if you could imagine putting yourself in their shoes. He sent his wife, he sent his four daughters from America on a ship to England He planned to join them after finishing some business he had to do in the United States. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a collision and the ship sank. More than 200 people lost their lives on the ship, including, get this, all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters. His wife survived the tragedy. She arrived in England and she sent a telegram to her husband that began saved alone what what shall i do so horatio spafford he made his way to england and the captain of the ship aware of the tragedy that struck the spafford family he he talked to horatio to tell him how they were passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred he let him know horatio this is where this is where the the shipwreck took place as horatio spafford thought about his daughters Somehow. The passage, remember, we just read the peace that passes all understanding. That sort of peace filled his heart. And he wrote down these words, and I'll read them to you now. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. Which, of course, became the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Action today. What are those things that are bringing you this anxiety, that are bringing you this fear, that you simply need to bow your head and you need to cast those cares to the Lord? With thanksgiving, knowing, God, I'm thankful because I know you hear me. God, I am bringing these things to you. Would you help me today? We all said earlier that we desire the peace of God to to heart in our hearts and our minds in a way analogous to a a faithful soldier. We we want God's guarding in our lives, right? Well, today God's calling you and I to action, to live in, in meekness and gentleness, to rejoice And to pray and be thankful. It is my prayer today that we hear what God has to say to us. And as we desire this peace, that we will take the steps that God is calling us to, to experience his peace today. I invite you to stand and would you pray with me? And then we'll sing together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, what a thought. Many of us have experienced that peace like a river. And God, many of us experience sorrows like a sea billow rolling in our lives. We know, God, our circumstances change all the time. I pray, God, that as we desire your peace to guard our hearts, God, give us your joy. God, may we be men and women of of reasonableness and gentleness, that, that that is we have your love and peace in our lives. And God, may we bring matters that bring us all this anxiety and fear. May we simply bow our heads and, and bring them to you. God, I pray for your people today. I know, Heavenly Father, that all of us have circumstances thrown our way, some that are in our control, some that are very much out of our control. God, in all things, may we experience your peace and And today, God, may we act in a way that leads us to experience that peace. As we sing, God, about being a lighthouse, God, as you are the light of the world and that you've drawn us to yourself, God, may we sing uh, your praises today. And may we leave this place being a lighthouse for you. God, we thank you for this day. Bless us and be with us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.